This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, everybody? Nathan King here from the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Wanted to just remind everybody about one of our great sponsors here on the 24-7 Sports Network, and that is Homefield Apparel. What is Homefield Apparel? You guys, the premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that produces incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs like Auburn and all of their great logos and designs um, that they've had throughout their history. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. Obviously, one of their most popular collections is the Auburn collection now. Now over 20 pieces in total on their site, homefieldapparel.com. If you guys were anywhere on social media, you you were part of the Peacock movement. Um, If you're an Auburn fan of the Auburn basketball season, they've got a great Peacock shirt and Peacock hoodie that says Auburn Hoops. Easily my favorite design of theirs. Um, it's a great, great piece of uh, piece of work for an Auburn fan to pick up to commemorate this basketball season. You guys can still get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com with the code Auburn Undercover. That's all caps, all one word, Auburn Undercover. Please go check it out. You guys love their product, have loved it for a really long time. If you guys have been anywhere in the world of college athletics in the past couple of years in terms of social media, like I talked about, they have been phenomenal. They've done a really good job of branding themselves and they back it up with a great product. And Auburn is one of their biggest sellers like that new Peacock uh, jacket I was just telling you guys about. So be sure to go pick that up. Get 15% off your first purchase. Again, promo code, all caps, Auburn Undercover at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Here on the Auburn Undercover Podcast, we are proud to be partnered with Prime Shrimp, a New Orleans-based shrimp company, to offer our listeners some delicious, easy-to-cook shrimp in just minutes. These guys have been peeling shrimp since the 40s, and they are excited to offer you guys restaurant-quality shrimp straight to your door in under 10 minutes without the usual mess and fuss. Take the frozen pouch out of your freezer, drop it in a pot of boiling water, and again, it's ready to serve however you want it in 10 minutes. You guys can head over to primeshrimp.com. And with promo code Auburn247, all caps, all one word, you can get $20 off your first order. Again, that's code Auburn247, all caps, all one word for $20 off your first order. If you don't love it, get your money back. Their flavors include Signature Season, French Quarter Alfredo, Garlic Herb Butter, and the Louisiana Shrimp Boil, which is personally my favorite. I'll tell you guys what I've done three or four times. Grab a loaf of French bread, bake it until it's crispy, get some lettuce, whatever other toppings you want, stuff some Louisiana Shrimp Boil in there and get yourself a po' boy. It is absurdly good. Get you some frozen French fries, pop them in the oven while you're making it, and it's super easy, super tasty seafood meal in like 20 minutes by the time you're done with everything. Remember, guys, use code AUBURN247, all one word, all caps, $20 off your first purchase at primeshrimp.com. back everybody another edition here of the auburn undercover podcast on the 24 7 sports network my name is nathan king hope everybody is having a great fourth of july weekend or whatever time of the the month of july it is when you guys end up listening to this we are continuing to roll through auburn's 2022 schedule and we are now in the heart of the schedule we're playing rivals every single week it's big matchups it's teams that you guys know 
um, as Auburn's in the meat of the SEC schedule now as we are on to week six. Last episode, we had Matthew Brune from Go 24-7, gave a great preview of LSU and Brian Kelly heading into year one there. So be sure to go listen to that if you guys haven't. But today we have a special guest, Mr. Jordan Hill is joining us from dogs 24 seven. Um, and if you guys recognize that name, that's because uh, you probably read a lot of Jordan stuff when he was here. He's just recently, well, I mean, not, not too recent, but he was at the Opal like Auburn news for a long time um, as Auburn's beat reporter. Um, and he is now he's a Georgia guy back, back in his, uh, his home state covering the bulldogs. And we're very happy that he is with the 24 seven sports team. So uh, Jordan, first of all, how are you? Uh, I know it's been a while, but how are you enjoying uh, the move, uh, the move to Athens? Yeah, hey Nathan King and Jordan Hill together again. They said that it, you know, couldn't couldn't stop these two. The haters said that it wasn't possible. Would never happen. Yeah, it never happened. No, it's been great. Uh, we moved to Athens. I guess that was early March. So at this point, it's almost been four months. Uh, kind of hitting the ground running. But like you said, I'm from Georgia. Graduated from UGA. So um, it's been a pretty smooth transition. You know, it's it's been tough. You know, I really enjoyed, like you said, me being in Auburn before. Uh, had a great time covering Auburn, getting a chance to meet all the people and, and be a part of that beat. But uh, really excited about what this season's going to look like for Georgia. Coming off, obviously, a national championship. No shortage of storylines. And I think it's going to be a really interesting year. We will, of course, um, get to that first. I know that we go through all of these, and, and this is the first one where I really feel like... I think you know half of the Auburn fan base probably is at a point where they're they're interested in every team they will they'll you know they obviously want to learn about what Auburn's 2022 opponents look like Georgia is probably the first team we've gotten to here where you're about to sit here and talk very glowingly because they are the defending national champions and some people will probably tune out because they hate Georgia that's totally fine um we we come to expect that from this and the uh, and the Alabama episode but I am really interested to hear um about what the Bulldogs look like coming into 2022 but we'll start of course with last season, um, Jordan, I guess just, you know, it's been a few months, like you said, we watched the the national championship game together um, in Auburn when you were obviously close to, to getting ready to go to go to Georgia. What has the reaction continued to be from them? Obviously, they, they broke a 40 year drought in terms of a, in terms of finally getting back on that national championship stage. It was really big in terms of getting over Alabama, I guess, just when you look at all of those accomplishments for UGA, is it is it still buzzing in that direction? You know, how much momentum? Um, recruiting and, and every single facet. How much momentum did that give them? And I guess how much of a weight in terms of people you talk to around the program does that lift off their shoulders, particularly the Alabama thing? Because that was a team they just couldn't get over. And it felt like they had to get over them if they were going to win a national championship. And that's exactly what they did on that stage. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the way it played out, you know, from the Georgia perspective, I think it really needed to come against Alabama. You know, I'd say if they had beaten a Clemson, Ohio State, it's, people would still remember that they couldn't get over Alabama, obviously lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. You know, I think that that mattered. I think, you know, from what we heard during the spring talking to players, you know, they were really honest about, you know, the, a lot of these guys too, especially the guys uh, that grew up in Georgia, you know, they hear about, you know, the fact that they hadn't gotten over the the hump. They'd heard, you know, a lot of people, uh, obviously still in this area, you know, in the in the southeast, just in general, are Alabama fans. They got to hear, you know, from those people, those people they grew up with and, and friends and family, you know, about when y'all going to do it. You know, when is it finally going to happen? And, you know, I think for a lot of these guys, that was, you know, a huge accomplishment. But at the same time, 
you know, I think they understand that, you know, that they're basically starting over. You know, that was something the very first day of spring that Kirby Smart really harped on. He was, you know, anyone who's ever really listened to Kirby, he's never, you know, really, you know, warm and fuzzy with the media, I guess you could say. Uh, but, you know, he said that was last year's team's accomplishment. Essentially, this is a brand new team. Obviously, a lot of guys from that team are, are gone now. Uh, you know, 15 guys were drafted and, and have moved on. You know, it's it's a new team and they've got new goals. You know, I think that as much as they probably don't want to admit it, I think that they are upset they didn't finish the season undefeated, obviously having lost to Alabama and Atlanta. Um, but I think this is a team that's hungry to prove that they aren't a one-hit wonder. You know, they got close a few years ago. I guess that would have been the 2016 season or the 2017 season uh, when they made it to the national title and lost in overtime. Uh, but, you know, I think this is a team that, especially with the players, understand uh, that that was a great accomplishment and those guys enjoyed it. But from everything we were told, it was basically once they got back to Athens and especially after that parade in mid-January, basically a, a brand new slate and, and a goal to try to do something very similar in 2022. Yeah, I was thinking about this when I was talking to Matt the last episode, you know, the last three national champions have been from the SEC, but LSU sort of feels like the outlier. Not not that, you know, you wouldn't call it a flash in the pan because LSU is a highly successful program, but you look at just how quickly it declined um, after that and the fact that they're onto a new head coach just a couple years after. So for Georgia now, you know, the focus is, you know, I, I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen, that, that they're just going to flash. Obviously, they've been on this stage for a while, um, but continuing to be in that national championship conversation with teams like you mentioned, Alabama, Ohio State, and and uh, and Georgia kind of feel like your your top teams right now. Um, looking at this team now, we were talking about before before we started rolling. Um, very very few transfers. Um, Jermaine Burton was the big one that left. Obviously, he's expected to be a big impact player at Alabama. Um, but as you noted, they didn't bring in any transfers from the from the portal. Um, you know, one part of that, of course, is when you've recruited as well as as they have. But something you mentioned they may not even have had room on this current roster. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, when you bring in, I think they signed like 30 guys in the 2022 signing class. A product of that is, you know, you know, we talk about how much things are changing with recruiting and things like that. Still, that scholarship number is still at 85. You know, that still is the, the magic number, essentially, when it comes to scholarships. I mean, they're in a situation, too, uh, where a guy last year, Dan Jackson, a walk-on, who played a pretty good bit at safety, you know, I kind of went into this offseason being like, it's going to be a no-brainer. They're going to put him on scholarship. Right now, I don't think they can just because of the numbers. Uh, but, yeah, it was a situation where I think since the national title game, they've had probably 12 or 13 players who left, and most of those guys were reserve guys, and most of those guys weren't guys you expected uh, to play. There were a few exceptions. Uh, Latavius Brini, I think he wound up at Arkansas. The big one, like you said, uh, was Jermaine Burton. I mean, he was among their wide receivers, was their lead receiver last year. Brock Bowers, the tight end, was was the guy who led in yards and touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, Jermaine made a lot of plays. And, and losing him, and not only losing him, but losing him in conference, you know, I think can't be overstated. I think that's a huge loss. I think he's got an opportunity at Alabama to be a big playmaker. And losing a guy like that, it really puts a lot of pressure on a Donnie Mitchell, a guy who made a huge catch in that national championship game. I mean, looked like something out of a video game uh, to make one of those touchdowns in the fourth quarter 
he's going to be counted on a great deal. You know, I think he's looked at as the leading wide receiver. Now, you you compare that with the fact that they have got an absolutely loaded tight end room. I mean, Eric Gilbert, along with Bowers, Darnell Washington, who, you know, a lot of people haven't talked about Darnell, and he's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, and has made plays, was a huge uh, pickup from uh, Nevada a few years ago when they signed him. And then they've got a four-star in Oscar Delp at tight end. Uh, they have options at receiver, losing Burton Hurts, um, but they've got they've got a considerable talent still, uh, and they got a lot of options at wide receiver besides Mitchell. Uh, one of the really intriguing things to me is just figuring out who is going to kind of lead the way in that receiving core, and uh, you know what they're able to do with Stetson Bennett this fall. Speaking of Bennett, you know there was obviously speculation as to what his decision was going to be. After this season, Georgia gets him back. It's great to get yourself, obviously, a national championship quarterback um, returning on your roster. And I think he, I don't know about if squashed is the right word, but he definitely, you know, gained even more confidence if, if fans didn't already have it in him with that national championship performance. I mean, I'm not sure Georgia wins that game without, I mean, some incredible throws by him in that game. So maybe he has elevated himself from former walk-on game manager. You have a generational defense to a guy that is, is you know, the heart of your offense in terms of, pushing the ball downfield in the passing game. What is, has that completely changed for, for UGA and the fan base? You know, how much confidence is there um, in Stetson Bennett? And I guess what, what was the reaction when he decided to return? You know, I think that there is growing confidence with him having played the way he did. I can't help but think had it been uh, the other way, had Alabama won that game, even if Stetson played the way he did, you know, there would have been questions. There would have been people saying he can't do it, which I mean, as someone who grew up and, and like I had mentioned before, went to Georgia, you know, there were conversations, not quite to this level because Stetson was a walk-on, but, you know, guys like Aaron Murray got the knock of, well, he can't win the big game. Uh, that would have followed Stetson. And I think that the fact that he, you know, not only that they played as well, he played as well as he did, they win the national championship. Uh, but I think this spring was big for Stetson. And then something he talked about, um, a great deal when we had a chance to talk to him. You know, this time, you know, last spring, uh, spring of 2021, this was a guy that was getting third team reps during spring. And, and you think about how valuable, you know, really getting to be that number one guy. This was his first spring where that was the the way things played out. He was clearly the guy. Uh, their, their backups played really well based on everything we heard and then even what we saw at G-Day. Uh, but Stetson was the guy. So this was the guy that was working with A.D. Mitchell. This was the guy that was working with Brock Bowers. It wasn't a situation where you get into the season two games in and your starter gets hurt and, okay, we got to get this guy in the game and he's going to have to figure this thing out on the fly. You know, he talked about also feeling a lot more comfortable being a leader, you know, talking to the receivers about, hey, let's run this route this way, you know, really breaking down the mechanics of the route running and being on the same page. And that was something he really wasn't afforded last year. It was something that, you know, they kind of had to, you know, it's kind of trial by fire. And, you know, it wasn't always pretty. There were games where he struggled. That SEC championship game against Alabama uh, was not one of his better performances. Um, but I think he he's shown real strides. And I think that the way he went about spring, uh, I think if you're a Georgia fan, uh, would make you feel really good. And, and I think, too, um, he got plenty of praise, and I think that you know, uh, he, you know, there were there was never really the thought that he would not be the starting quarterback. But we heard a lot of good things about the other quarterbacks, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift as well. Um, you know, if there was a situation where he struggled, you know, 
there could have been a competition, but I don't think it ever got to that level. And I think that's a credit to Stetson uh, for looking at the opportunity and being able to seize it uh, going into his super senior year. What about the rest of this offense? Do you like this season? I know looking at their statistics from last year, the running game loses a lot of production, but you've got a guy in, in Kenny McIntosh that you probably still f- feel pretty good about. Um, the offensive line is in a position where they probably feel like they're going to be pretty successful. And like you said, the tight end, I mean, those top three tight ends, you, you, Brock Bowers was one of the most exciting players in college football last season, which is really fun to say about a tight end. And then people forget about Eric Gilbert, but dude was one of the most sought after recruits in the country two years ago. And now he's you know, obviously on his on his third SEC school. What do you expect out of this offense this coming season? I know they they lose some some guys at receiver, but you just talked about Bennett another year under his belt. They're always going to have a lot of talent at running back, always going to have a lot of talent along the offensive line. Is there anything different you'd expect? Do you expect a step forward, a step back? What do you think you're going to see out of this offense as the season progresses? I think they have a chance to maybe not so much take a step forward, but be kind of more of uh, what gets attention about Georgia. Because obviously, you know, even going back to when Kirby was hired, we all know that defensive-minded coach, defensive coordinator at Alabama, and year after year, obviously, you know, with good reason, when you talk about Georgia, it's been the defense. And you're coming off of 2021 when that defense made an argument to be one of the greatest defenses, at least in the modern era of college football. Uh, you know, I think this offense was really productive. I, if I'm remembering right, they they were averaging something like 38 points a game last year, um, which obviously is is no small feat. Uh, I think this offense has a chance to kind of showcase the skills. You know, it's just a matter of in some of these positions, guys stepping up like running back. Uh, you know, you lose James Cook and you lose Zamir White, you need a guy like Kenny McIntosh, a guy that I've seen a lot of people looking at the 2023 draft thinking he has the potential to be one of the top running backs taken because he's such a good pass catcher. I don't think on any pass he was targeted last season, he had a drop. Uh, And, and, you know, they've really used those running backs uh, to great effect, especially in the passing game with Stetson. I think it's a matter of guys like Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, another running back, too, Uh, Those guys stepping up, I think it's a situation, too, on the offensive line. They feel pretty good about what they have coming back. Really, the only question of the five spots is that right guard. Uh, You know, Tate Ratledge, who would have been the starter last year, he gets hurt in the Clemson opener. Uh, Warren Erickson plays most of the season, and then in the championship game, he gets moved out. They kind of, you know, uh, pick and and move some guys around to, to sort of settle that offensive line. Erickson's back. He's kind of competing for that spot. There's a few guys. Devin Willick's another guy. I think if they can get uh, guys, like we said, some of those playmakers are running back to step up, some of those receivers, along with A.D. Mitchell to kind of stand out. And if they get a clear starting right guard, whether it's uh, Tate Rattledge coming back from that injury or one of these other guys that we got to see during the spring, I think this offense is in pretty good shape. And they locked up. Uh, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator this offseason, they made him one of the highest paid assistants in the country. And I think that speaks to what they think this offense can be. And uh, it's just a matter of if this uh, can kind of sort itself out with the the, the battles that are still going on and uh, if some of these guys can really rise to the occasion. I believe when I looked at it, when I was looking at Auburn coordinators' salaries for this season, Munkin is the top paid assistant in the SEC, right, because of that bonus. I uh, think he's making, so. Yeah, he's making two million. Yes, I season. believe so. 
yeah and so yeah, like you said it, it's it's all relative when you when you look at what Georgia's offense has been uh I mean last season like you said generational defense one of the best defenses in the modern era you probably people arguments will be made for years about them in, in 2011 Alabama as, as kind of defining the past couple decades but Georgia had the number nine scoring offense in the country so I mean it was it was no slouch on that side of the ball but you just look at they were so dominantly number one on the opposite side um, that it sort of took a backseat. And then you talk about the SEC title game with Stetson Bennett, things like that. People, you know, would would turn their noses up at the offense occasionally, but they've they've got a big standard to fill this season because you know, top ten scoring offense. I know they were top ten in a lot of efficiency categories, but it is that defense. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk now about um, you know Georgia's defense from last season. They obviously set a record for NFL draft picks, helped mostly in part. Um, because of that defense and they you know the number one overall pick was a guy on that defensive line obviously Jordan Davis was a guy who got um, Jordan Davis a name close to your heart um, yes. got a lot of uh, you know Heisman type buzz sort of a Derek Brown at Auburn you kind of compare those seasons there um, but they've got Jalen Carter who is getting similar hype along the defensive line they've got lots of talent we'll start with the front seven and then we'll move to the secondary um, is it is it Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith the the big leaders there in terms of that front line and, and the second line at linebacker. And I guess, how are they, you know, there's no chance you're going to reload in that same fashion and, and have the same, you know, great defense that you had last year. But what are kind of their plans right now to to be able to at least punch up and attempt to you know have the number one defense in the SEC again? Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a great case to really see, you know, obviously Georgia has routinely brought in some of the, the top signing classes these last few years. Now you really see after a year like this where, you know, you wind up having 15 total guys drafted, uh, eight starters from that defense are gone, how easily you can reload. Obviously, that's easier said than done just generally. But, yeah, it starts with Jalen Carter. This is a guy that, you know, I saw a mock draft this past week that had him as the third overall pick. I mean, you just – and even talking to him during the spring, you know, Jordan Davis I think was the 13th pick. Devontae Wyatt was like the 27th or 28th overall pick in this draft and these guys are telling Jalen you need to work really hard because we think you can be better than us and I think you know that speaks volumes not only of those two guys to say that to a teammate but I mean that that backs up everything we've heard about Jalen Carter I can remember you know going to the start of that playoff run last year uh, the athletics Bruce Feldman uh, really looked at Jalen and said you know Jalen Carter is the guy that coaches are telling us this is the guy we're really worried about. You know, obviously guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt matter, but Jalen is just that kind of freak. And I think based on what we saw during the spring and the way he kind of, you know, attacked, uh, you know, the work that was asked of him and, and the way he tried to take advantage, I think that he's in a really good position. You know, I think uh, he's going to be a, a defensive tackle that's going to cause a lot of havoc. And I think the thing that interests me, because really – the two known commodities at this point uh, between the front seven is Jalen Carter and then Nolan Smith, who you mentioned before, uh, really good outside linebacker. I think when he came to Georgia, I think he might have been the number one overall recruit. Uh, he, he's been a really productive outside linebacker. He's a guy that some people thought might have gone pro last year. Uh, he talked about that, uh, you know, he was excited to come back to Georgia and, you know, he believes in what Kirby Smart is, you know, selling and his message. But he said, mom wants me to get a degree. So I'm coming back to Georgia for another year, get my degree and have a chance to be really productive. I think he's got a big opportunity. And those two guys are sort of the the guys we know that have 
played significant roles before. Obviously, a guy like Jalen is expected to do a little bit more since some of those guys have moved on. But the question is the guy stepping up around him. And we've gotten a little bit of sense of that, you know, specifically inside linebacker. I mean, oh, my God, you know, N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, those were all – I think they were all drafted in the top three rounds. You've got to try to find people to step up in their place. And, and the guy that has really risen to the occasion – Probably more so than anyone on either side of the ball is uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson, a guy they call Pop. And we said, why, why are you guys nicknaming Pop? And it's because the way he hits at practice. He said, they're the, you know, uh, Nolan Smith told us he's always popping. You always know where he is on the field. This is a guy that obviously with how deep they were at inside linebacker last year, he, you know, he played sparingly, but when he got on the field, he made plays. That second game against UAB, he had a sack. He had a pick six. Uh, you know, once the game was pretty much decided and they had some of those reserves in the game, they need guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson uh, to rise to the occasion to fill those holes. I mean, if you think about it, if you watched N'Kobe Dean at all last year, I mean, it looked like you were playing a video game and you were looking over at what the opponent was going to call. I mean, he just had a – I think specifically there was a play against Kentucky where he read – a pass out in the flats. I mean, it looked like someone had told him, you know, specifically, it's coming right there. Uh, he just did that so routinely and made that such a habit that when you lose not only the production a guy like that brings, but just the football IQ, the the ability to get his teammates where they're supposed to be. There's uh, There was a really uh, – was kind of become a famous moment during that national title game where uh, where Nakobe got on to to Channing Tindall because they had kind of had a miscommunication. It was uh, in that second half. I think it was a point when Alabama was down on the goal line trying to score, and uh, Nakobe got all over Channing for not being where he was supposed to be. But there was that understanding between each of them that you know the, what Nakobe was telling his teammate was right. And then they kind of come back, and then the next play, there's a big sack that forces an Alabama field goal. Uh, you know, you lose a player of N'Kobe Dean's caliber, that's huge, but also just a, a teammate that these guys knew would get them in positions to succeed. I think that's a loss that is really, really tough to fill. They've got talent to do it. Uh, I'm just really intrigued by how smoothly that transition goes, even, you know, really at the beginning of the year, what, what these guys who are asked to play bigger roles um, what that looks like, how comfortable they are doing so, and just how smoothly it happens. Because for Georgia, they're starting the season against an Oregon team that, albeit, you know, has a lot of changes. But this team won 10 games last year. You know, this is not going to be a, a walk in the park where you just, you know, mark that it's going to be a W because if if things aren't done smoothly and if there are issues specifically on that defensive side, it could be a really long day in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, you can you you can't necessarily quantify the type of leadership and IQ um, that that you can get with some of these players. I mean, you, the the recruiting class, obviously, you hope that when you bring in top recruits like that year after year, that you're going to find a guy like that who's able to be a quarterback of the defense, you know, and then be a true middle linebacker. So it'll be like you said, it'll be interesting to see. And I know Jordan Davis was obviously vocal leader, big uh, big personality there on the defensive line, and and. We know from covering Auburn, you know, when you have a guy like that, like a Derek Brown or Marlon Davidson on Auburn's side, um, usually leads to a lot of success when you can be disruptive up there and, and obviously have good communication with your linebackers. Um, the secondary, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like maybe they, in terms of 
returning production are in a bit of a better spot than than everywhere else just because of Keely Ringo obviously could be the top cornerback taken in next year's draft had that big pick six against Alabama um, and then Chris Smith at safety is, is a big returner um, as well do they expect that maybe I know they've recruited at, at defensive back they've recruited obviously really really well um, do they expect maybe they can take a step forward there or what does that position group sort of look like in the in the defensive backfield yeah, there's really a lot of promise, and I've seen you know some of the the outlets. I think Phil still has Georgia's defensive backs as the top in the nation, and a lot of that starts with Keely Ringo. Uh, obviously, he ended the year with that 79-yard pick six that officially sealed the championship game. He's a guy that was a five-star that you know he last year was his first year playing after he had uh, shoulder surgery his true freshman year. Uh, yeah, and then you bring back another super senior in Christopher Smith. Uh, a guy that's got a lot of talent, and I think uh, he was second on the team in interceptions last year uh, to Darion Kendrick, who was a pretty big loss as far as corner, a guy they they picked up from Clemson that's now with the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, they feel pretty good about filling his spot. Uh, everything we've uh, seen during the spring and also just what we've heard, Kamari Lassiter is another guy that they have on the roster that has stepped up uh, kind of opposite Ringo. I'm really interested just to see what he does uh, because I think a lot of teams, a lot of offensive coordinators understand what Keely Ringo can do, and I think that they're going to really try to work away from him. They're not going to give him opportunities to make plays like he made on Bryce Young in that national title game. The biggest question with the secondary is the second safety spot. Uh, they lost Lewis Seen, who wound up being the last pick in the first round, very talented safety. And it's sort of just a question of who's really in the mix for this job. I mentioned Dan Jackson, who, again, is a walk-on, but he stepped in for Chris Smith uh, at the end of the regular season. I think he also played in that SEC championship game when uh, Chris got banged up a little bit. He's kind of in the mix. Uh, he had some really good things to say during spring because now Will Muschamp is really working with him, working with the safeties. Uh, he acted like he's learned a lot, you know, just in that spring alone from working with a guy with as much experience as Will Muschamp. And then you got a few other just sort of wild cards. Tyke Smith is a guy uh, that was at West Virginia a couple of years ago and was an All-American from some outlets. Uh, he came to Georgia last year, was seen as a guy that could play right away got hurt very early in the year, kind of tried to play through it. I think really the only game he played significant time was against Auburn, and then he winds up tearing his ACL. So we didn't see him at all in the spring. He's still kind of working his way back. That's a guy that I think in a perfect world, you know, he's 100% healthy and everything goes as it's supposed to. I think he's that other safety. But obviously this isn't a perfect world. You know, we don't really know how things are going or – if he's had any setbacks or if some of these other guys like a Dan Jackson is a guy they trust or uh, some of these talented freshmen, they got a, a five-star Malachi uh, Sparks, uh, Malachi Starks uh, that played and was the starting safety uh, for the second team defense uh, at, at G day at the uh, spring game. So they've got options at that second safety spot. But to me, really when you look at both uh, the offense and the defense, it's right guard, and it's that second safety spot to me that are the biggest questions where I say, you know, they've got options, but it's not really clear who it's going to be. And uh, it's going to be something to watch once we get into fall camp. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We'll look now at at the, as you mentioned, Will Muschamp. They're kind of going, correct me if I'm wrong, a co-DC yep. role right now um, to replace Dan Lanning. You mentioned the Oregon game. Um, they opened with Oregon. It's pretty fun to be able to have an opportunity, um, not only to go up against your former defensive coordinator, but uh, the Bo Nix element of it is is pretty fun as well to watch him uh Take another shot at Georgia. Obviously, you know, wasn't able to get a win over Georgia in his in his three years um, at Auburn. Before we finish off with your thoughts on Auburn, obviously we're we're a long way away, but I, I do want your thoughts on that matchup because you have a great perspective. You know this Auburn team pretty well. Let's look at the schedule overall for Georgia and what you think about their chances to make it back to the SEC title game. Um, to make it back, obviously, and if, if you're in the SEC title game, you have a chance at the college football playoff. Um, just give me some of the, the highlights of the schedule. Obviously, if you're, if you're watching on YouTube or, or our live stream, you're, you're seeing it right in front of you. We'll, we'll do our best job, uh, the best job we can to, to describe it. It seems to me pretty favorable. Um, that Oregon game is a little difficult, but you are catching Oregon with a first year head coach. Everything else looks pretty nice for UGA to have an opportunity, um, to go 12 and 0, but, but where do you see an opportunity for some snags and, and what are the biggest games of the season for you? I appreciate you pointing that out that, I mean, it, it sets up really well because I feel like such a homer when I've like started to work through these games and just no, it looks like, great. <laughs> it looks great. I'm just like, man, it's just very hard. Uh, obviously when you go through a 12 game season, there can be slip ups, uh, yeah. but I think that this sets up really favorably for Georgia. Obviously you don't get an Alabama out of the West. You've got Auburn as always. And, and then you get Mississippi state who, I, I think could be a dangerous game. I kind of uh, wrote a story on Friday and kind of pointed to that as the trap game, just because yeah, where that it looks is, like it to me. Yeah, where it is coming toward the end of the season, the fact it's on the road, uh, that's a game that really, really stands out to me. Other than that, I mean, there, there's a few games that I still think Georgia's in good shape with, but are just really intriguing. Uh, sort of, you know, kind of a setup as far as Georgia goes. Like Georgia at South Carolina, it's going to be noon in Columbia in mid-September. I was looking at what's projected. Obviously, this is a few months from now. It's supposed to be like 92. Like that early in the year, very first SEC game, a, a talented South Carolina team that pulled in a lot of, you know, uh, transfer portal additions. Like I still think Georgia wins that game, but you could see it just being an ugly, you know, hot, kind of miserable game. Um, other than that, the other games that I, I've really kind of pinpointed as being crucial, if Georgia is at the very least going to win the East and, and at best have a chance at going undefeated in the regular season, is going to be that game in Jacksonville that's played every year against Florida. 
anyone who has followed either one of these teams uh, can tell you there are years where it's just, you know, you go in and say there's no chance that Florida's going to win or there's no oh, – Georgia has no shot. And that's always the year where you go down to Jacksonville and some weird things happen and, you know, some team gets a couple turnovers and all of a sudden – you know, the, the underdog wins. And, you know, it's so weird when you look. I think that game last year wound up being 34 to 7. I think we had it on in the Auburn uh, press box. We were laughing maniacally at, did Florida have two straight turnovers, three turnovers in five plays? Something, something something to that effect, yeah. It was like a one-possession game, and then all of a sudden it was like half the stadium has poured out because Nolan yeah. Smith has returned a pick, and I think N'Kobe Dean might have had one. Uh, that's just one that, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I don't really have a great feel for what Billy Napier, Florida Gators are going to look like. I think that Billy Napier is a really talented coach. I was interested. The fact he stayed at UL Lafayette as long as he did, I think he waited for a really good job. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of buzz about Anthony Richardson as a quarterback. You know, a, a while ago, people started saying he had the potential to be a first-round pick. I don't know. He didn't play very well. I was looking at the stats when they played Georgia last year. He threw for like 82 yards and a couple picks. So, yeah, that one I just don't have a great feel for. And then the other one I, I wrote as sort of the team that I think is the most underrated, especially on Georgia's schedule, is Kentucky. Yeah. I just can't get over the consistency that Mark Stoops has been able to to make out of a Kentucky team that was really, really bad when he took over about a decade ago. Uh, they've been really good. I think the fact that that's at the end of the season, who knows what kind of injury issues Georgia's uh, dealing with at that point, the fact that it's at Kentucky. I think really, you know, I haven't sat down and go, gone through all the games for all the teams. I think Kentucky has a chance again to be that second team in the East. I think yeah, they I have, think their schedule's pretty favorable, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they have the talent. I think that, you know, Will Levis is a really good quarterback. I think it is a pretty big blow that they lost Liam Cohen, a guy that I think was a really good offensive coordinator. He goes back to the NFL, to the Rams. But then they hired the 49ers quarterbacks coach. So I think they're kind of just trying to, to keep it clicking. I think Kentucky's uh, kind of a dangerous team. And again, when you've gone through such a long season, who knows what kind of situation Georgia's roster's in at that point. Um, but those are the games to me. And again, I'd mentioned that Mississippi State game the, those are the ones that really stand out to me as truly games where you go i mean i still think georgia wins but those could be really challenging games and it could be a situation where you know you're watching another game and you're seeing upset alert on the bottom of the screen because uh, some of these teams i think especially where these games fall um, could could really put up a fight against georgia I like the positioning of the bye week there before Florida. Um, that game always reminds me of the Red River shootout just because, you know, like you said, you can kind of throw out the record. Truly, you can throw out the records. You can't say about every rivalry. We've seen it with Texas in the last 10 years. Oklahoma's been much better, and they Texas comes and almost wins that game every single time. Same thing for Florida and Georgia, except for last season, obviously, when, when it was a, a, a masterful defensive performance there yeah i would i i look at that last stretch of the season not even counting georgia tech because that's i mean that program's going downhill very fast and that game is is in sanford stadium you look at those last four sec games and there's only one true home game there and it's against tennessee and tennessee is a little prickly i mean they, they're they're gonna put up a fight in this game um you know they they host alabama this season a lot of people are looking at that one saying mm, might be an opportunity 
for Alabama to slip up. But still, I mean, at Mississippi State, like you said, at Kentucky, all interesting, all going to be tricky. But at this point, it's one of those things where you're looking at the schedule as a whole and you ha- you have to pick significant upsets to say that they're going to lose a game. And that's that's when you're in a great spot if you're Georgia. And you're, when, you're, when you're these other teams in the middle of the East, the middle of the West, you know, bottom of the East, bottom of the West, you're not picking upsets. You're saying, yeah, Arkansas is better in that game. Yeah, I'd give Ole Miss a pretty good shot there. For Georgia, they're still top dog, you know, literally and 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 physically. Um, so you'd have to say that, you know, oh, I think South Carolina is going to pull it off with, with Spencer Rattler. And so um, I think it does set up really well for them to be to be number one in the East. That Auburn game, as we're looking at it now, um, that falls on October 8th. It is a, back at UGA. Obviously, Georgia had no problem in that game last season. It was an explosive performance um, for Stetson Bennett, if I recall correctly. I know Ladd McConkey had a really long touchdown in that game. I think Stetson Bennett only had like 12 completions or something like that, but he still had 250, something like that. It was a 34 to 10 win. Really not much of a shot for Auburn because of that defense. Now they go to absolutely their worst house of horrors. Um, you look at the, the streak that Auburn broke last year with LSU, was able to get over that hump. Um, 2010 was the last time they won at Alabama. They, they've had a lot of issues there, but it goes back even further than that for UGA. I wanted to ask you about this game and this matchup, not to say, oh, well, you know, what do you like about the the matchups? And, you know, is is, is Georgia scared of this game? Kind of, you know, what, what does this mean for Georgia's season? That's kind of the question we've been asking you know, LSU, the LSU, you know, writer who came on, we talked about that with Penn State, you know, what does it mean for the trajectory of the season? I don't really think that's valid here with Georgia, because for them, it's kind of just another lower tier opponent that comes into their house. I want to ask you, because you have great knowledge of this Auburn roster, what are some breaks in the armor that you think Auburn, even if you're having to go in an upset route, even if you're having to go out of left field a little bit, what are some areas where you know the Auburn team very well saying, okay, if they do this, if they do X, Y, and Z, which I know they're capable of doing, they can keep this game close and, and go into the fourth quarter. Whether it's Calzada at quarterback, whether it's Robbie Ashford, we know it'll be Tank Bigsby at running back. We know this defense is, is pretty solid, should be in the upper group in the SEC. What do you think Brian Harson and the Tigers, when they go again to a place they've had very, very little success in recent memory, what do they have to do to keep this thing close given what you know about this roster and and what they look like heading into the season. To me, what immediately comes to mind is that Auburn's defense has to have an Alabama or like the Iron Bowl 2021-esque kind of performance. I think that the key to Auburn having any kind of shot is to really rattle Stetson Bennett, whether that's bringing pressure, whether that's causing turnovers. I feel like that is the key for the defense to play really, really well. And then, you know, on the other side, the thing that really just stands out to me, I mean, I just think that Auburn's going to have to find a way to get Tank some running room. I think that, you know, again, you know, Jalen Carter and Zion Logue's another guy that's probably going to be the nose tackle. I think those are talented guys. You know, I feel like if you're put in a situation where, you know, there was a lot of time last year when I'd look at some of, uh, you know, the the box scores from Auburn and seen, you know, Bo Nix throw 50, you know, whatever, however many attempts he had and just been like, man, that's just way too many. I mean, like, that just isn't going to work. You know, I, I don't think you're going to want to be in a situation where if it's Zach Calzada or Robbie Ashford, whoever it is, that you're wanting to throw the ball all over the field because, again, we talked about how good this Georgia secondary looks like it's going to be. You know, I think if you're going to, you know, really try to test a guy like Keely Ringo, uh, you may not like what the result is. I think it's got to be a situation. If, if Auburn, if we are looking at the game after the fact and saying, wow, 
either Auburn pulled the upset or Auburn kept it really close, sort of working our way back and kind of reverse engineering how they get there. I feel like it's just a, a big game from Tank Bigsby and probably also Jarquez Hunter. I think it's a situation where they figure out how to really test, you know, which is still, I guess that's a little bit probably a month into the season. You know, maybe you, you find some holes in this defense that's still trying to figure out some things. Maybe it's just a situation where, you know, it's not come together as quickly as Georgia wanted it to. To me, that that's what it boils down to, as I feel like the defense just has to do a really good job, if not causing turnovers, then just really just, uh, you know, thwarting what Georgia really wanted to do. And then I, I feel like it's got to be the run game, just Tank really showing out again, kind of being back in his home state. Obviously, you know, he grew up not far at all, at all from Auburn, um, but getting a chance to show out, and, uh, you know, really try to to break a streak that I, I don't know about you, Nate, that I was 11 years old the last time that Auburn won in Athens. Um, it's going to be a tall task, and I'll be really interested just to see what the, the game plan kind of looks like on both sides um, as they try to come into Athens and pull up a big upset. Yeah, if you look at what they've done against Alabama since their last win in Tuscaloosa, I think Alabama's averaging 45.6 points per game when they play there. Since Auburn's last win in Athens, in all their losses there, I think it's like twenty-seven point two for UGA. So it's not, it's not necessarily. And you, you know, you can cover in the team for a few years. When they go to Athens, yeah, they lose handily, but really, it's like twenty-four to six or yeah. twenty-one to seven, something like that. I mean, Georgia hasn't. Obviously, they didn't play there last year, and Georgia came to Jordan Hare and dropped thirty-four points in an explosive performance, like we talked about, but. In recent memory, this game has been lost because Auburn has been able to do absolutely. I mean, I think they went, I think two straight seasons, they didn't have a, a touchdown there um, in Athens. And so there was that one year where they didn't convert a first down the entire second half. And yeah. so if you can solve issues like that um, you know, with this offense in, in year two for Brian Harson, you should have, you know, like you said, a good opportunity and then keeping things close, you know, not a lot. If it was the, it was the, the 2020 game there, which was the first one that was like mid season. It looked like it was, I think, wasn't it 21 nothing, like beginning of the second quarter? I think um, so, because that was sort of Stetson's like, hey, I'm, that was I, his, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't suck. I can play. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a big coming out party for him. That one looked like it was going to get way out of hand. And then I think it, that one ended up being 27-6. Something like that. Yeah. Auburn kind of reeled it in and kept things close down the stretch. But you, you can't allow that to happen because this team, this Auburn team, as it looks right now, doesn't have a lot of firepower, um, I think, in a road environment like that to be able to keep up. So um, I definitely wanted to get, I'm sure our listeners really appreciate that again. You, how many, how many years were you on the Auburn beat? So I was the primary guy on the beat for two years, but mm-hmm. then I think, let's see, I think there was two other seasons where I was, uh, you know, helping doing sidebars. So I went to all the home games uh, mm-hmm. in those years, but then there were two years where I was, I was on the beat. Yeah. So Jordan definitely knows what he's talking about when it comes to this Auburn team in the last full football season you covered. Um, was at Auburn and now heading into it's year one of the Jordan, the Jordan Hill era um, at UGA. And so we're obviously very excited for Jordan. We're excited to loop back around in the fall. Um, that's obviously one of the biggest games of the season for Auburn. And so we're excited to get, get back with y'all and link back up with, with dogs two, four, seven to do some preview coverage there. So thank you so much to Jordan for hopping on today. If you guys enjoyed this show, please go leave us a five-star review. That's the number one thing that helps us out. We would really appreciate it. Um, if you guys do that, if you guys are listening to this before the end of the day on July 5th, we still have our 30% off promo going. Um, and I always like to point out that 24-7 is great because if you're a subscriber to one site, 
you can go read message boards and VIP stuff anywhere. So if you're wondering what's going on, if any of that stuff that Jordan just talked about piqued your interest and you want to know a little bit more about some of those players, some of those position groups or the trends that are happening and you see a VIP piece over at their site that Jordan writes, that's really interesting. You have access to it because you're a 24 seven subscriber. So be sure to go check that out, guys. You guys can try it out. Um, First two months is only going to be a dollar. Give it a shot. Um, If you like it, great. Sign on. If you don't, we won't kick you off the podcast. You can keep listening here because the podcasts are free. So uh, thank you guys so much again for, uh, for watching today. If you guys enjoyed it, please five-star review. Um, the intro and outro music is by Beats by Mordecai. You guys can follow him on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram. And until the next episode, everybody have a great 4th of July weekend. And we will talk to you all later. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.